I'm talking with my dad, Scott Oliphant, and wanted to, um, on philosophy for theologians, we talk a lot about, obviously, the role of philosophy, and just wanted to get some of your thoughts on, for the people who are interested in philosophy, studying philosophy, maybe even college majors who are dealing with a lot of the figures out there, what are some helpful ways for us to think about just studying philosophy in light of a lot of the things that we've been talking about in previous episodes, we've dealt with Hume, we've dealt with a lot of the big names in philosophy. And so what we don't want to say is don't ever study these guys, um, but what are some helpful principles or categories that we can think about in reading these figures who are clearly secular? What can we learn from them? Um, How do we think of them in light of theology and some of the other apologetic principles that we've talked about either on Christ's Center or especially in philosophy for, for theologians. What, are, what would you say to people who are studying philosophy and getting into the subject and trying to reconcile that with an interest in the, theolo- the theology that we're talking about as well? Um, I would say a couple of things. Um, first of all, and probably most importantly, um, recognize that philosophy, especially as it's been done in the Western tradition, almost invariably begins from a supposition of the autonomy of human reason. So what that means is that philosophers ask very good questions like what is the nature of ultimate reality so they talk about metaphysics or what is the nature of knowledge so they talk about epistemology or what is the nature of right and wrong so they talk about ethics and then they assume without ever telling you this they assume that they have the capability within their own brains to answer those questions so the first thing to recognize is you come to philosophy critically and you see that what they're trying to do is to answer questions that aren't answerable strictly by the human mind. They're trying to answer those things according to rational or empirical laws. So there's going to be a problem from the beginning. Once you recognize that and you begin to read it critically, You also see that because philosophers, like everyone else, are made in the image of God, there are going to be snippets and elements of truth that you can see as insights that are there in spite of their own starting point and their own basic principles. And that's because, not because their philosophy is true or right or proper, but it's because they're made in the image of God and they're living in God's world. So things are going to surface in philosophy that are actually insightful elements of thinking that you can bring over into Christianity and, and begin to use those things. So the first thing is, as, as Paul says in Colossians 2, don't be taken captive by philosophy according to human tradition. Don't let it dupe you. Don't let it trap you into thinking that they really are doing the right thing from the beginning. Once you have that principle down, then you can begin to look at philosophy as uh, something that has at various places some insight and some truth, but it's only true because Christianity is true. So it's going to have its truth only because of what Christianity says, and and, and that truth needs to be translated then into a Christian context. And as a Christian studying philosophy, that's the great task that you can do, is to translate that into a Christian context and show why the insight is insightful in spite of the principle that the philosophy itself espouses. Yeah, and um, maybe just a, a quick follow-up on that. Um, 
Van Til dealt with a lot of philosophy, clearly. That was his area of expertise, I guess you could say. He was a pastor first and dealt with a lot of philosophical figures to help him understand a lot of the philosophical concepts. So you would read uh, Van Til talking about Hegel and Heidegger and Hume and other figures. As as you read Van Til, um, how did Van Til approach his, um, not even incorporation, that may be too strong a word, but using the insights of guys like, um, well, not even, like Husserl and, and, and those guys, um, how did he use those philosophical insights in his own apologetics to help, um, you know, express the Christian truth? Um, he, he wouldn't relegate it just to theology. He would use those guys. And so, but, you know, on the very same page, he would talk about the dangers of philosophy. So what's the balance that we can um, achieve with both reading those guys? You've answered it already, but particularly Van Til, how did he incorporate those philosophical figures into his own apologetic method and insights? Yeah, maybe um, an example or two would help. Uh, Van Til, when he first began uh, thinking through his apologetic approach, he spoke of it as a transcendental approach to apologetics. And he was he was well aware that that word was not original to him, but it was actually a word that came from Kant and the Neo-Kantians. And Van Til had studied idealism, so he studied Kantian idealism. And he recognized that transcendental, the notion of transcendental in a Kantian context, the meaning of that is um, what are the preconditions that allow for what we know to be the case? That is, not just simply speaking about what we know. I know that that's a tree. I know that there are two apples on the table, things like that. But what are the preconditions that allow for such knowledge? That is a transcendental question that Kant asked. And Van Til saw Kant asking that question, and he said, that's a good question. But as a matter of fact, you can only give a truthful answer in the context of Christianity. So you bring that transcendental approach into Christianity, and all of a sudden you have uh, what is very useful in a Christian apologetic. Or um, Hegel, who objected to Kant because of Kant's notion of the noumenal, and Hegel and Hegelians thought that Kant's noumenal allowed only for what they called an abstract universal, which was exactly right, because God was abstract. You couldn't know anything about him, even though you knew he, you knew he could be there. So what the Hegelians were arguing for was what they called a concrete universal. So then Van Til comes along and he says, wait a minute, what do you want in Hegelian idealism? What you want is an absolute that both transcends history and yet is involved in the process of history. And Van Til says, if that's what you're looking for, a concrete universal, God is the only thing, the only one who can fulfill the criteria that you have for a concrete universal. He's the only one who is involved in the historical process even while he transcends history. So there's an insight in Hegelian idealism that can only function properly in the context of Christianity. Or Van Til's own uh, school of thought, absolute idealism, he wrote his dissertation on that at Princeton University, and what, many Christians at that point were saying, look at absolute idealism, it's a basic Christian philosophy. And Van Til's saying, no, it really isn't. And he wrote his dissertation to prove that the absolute of idealism is actually an absolute only to the extent that it depends on the relative. And if it depends on the relative, it can't be absolute. How do you have an absolute idealism? The only way you can have that 
is in the is in the Christian context where we stress the ontological trinity. That is, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who absolutely needs nothing else in order to be who he is. He doesn't need the relative over against which he is absolute. He is absolute even quite apart from the relative. So there are some examples of how Van Til would read philosophy and say, these guys are wanting the right things, and they're even articulating what, he, what Van Til called formal truth. The form of it is right, but you have to, to have the right material. The matter is wrong. The form is right, the matter is wrong. So he did that with Kant. He did that with absolute idealism. He did that with Hegel. He did that with all sorts of philosophies to show that the basic formal insights that they had could only be um, fulfilled in the context of Christian truth. Yeah, and then maybe just to wrap this up, just finally, um, can we use these same principles to talk about um, what we find in culture so that we can recognize that there's even philosophies uh, embedded into um, what movies are trying to communicate, what is present in music, um, even politics out there in the morality that um, they're trying to espouse and get out there. Um, how do we see this, these kinds of categories and principles applied then to just what we see in everyday culture, media, and just the examples that I just described? How do we how do we take those categories and apply them to, to those kind of everyday um, philosophies that we see? Well, I think in the same way that you do with uh, philosophy itself, you look at uh, culture uh, critically. That is, you begin by saying um, culture, in spite of what people want to tell us, is not, is not produced from autonomy. It's not produced just from ideas people have. Um, but it is only what it is in terms of God's own providence and what God is doing in culture. And so there are things in culture that um, are going to rise up to the surface and are going to have a formal truth attached to them, but those things can only be justified within the context of Christianity. You can see this with kind of themes of redemption in, 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 in various movies. Um, you can see it, um, for example, in the abortion discussion in our culture, which wants to hold high um, the, the, uh, the, the sanctity of life. But you can't hold high the sanctity of life apart from a Christian position. So that thing, that notion, while it's formally true, can't hang in the air, but it has to have its uh, substance in the context of man made in the image of God. And so anybody who wants to hold to the sanctity of life needs to understand that that is a distinctly Christian position. Now, you can hold to it without Christianity, and we applaud people who do, but the point is you can't have it unless Christianity is true. When you're watching uh, movies, you need to watch those critically and, and recognize that there is uh, an undercurrent of autonomy embedded in almost all movies that you have, and yet at the same time, there are elements in those movies of redemption, uh, even elements that, that can be discussed in terms of the Christian position that give us a sort of entree into how we might think about Christianity. Um, I've used the example before of the movie Memento, where a man is uh, inflicted with severe amnesia, and he's trying to figure out, as he wakes up from this amnesia, trying to figure out what it is that connects all of his experiences together so that he can uh, discern uh, why his wife was murdered. And what's he looking for there? He's looking for a rationale to his experience 
that will interpret his experience for him. Now, that's a great way for us to begin to talk about Christianity. What is it? What's the rationale for our day-to-day mundane existence of getting up in the morning, going to work, and doing what we do without just saying the experience justifies itself, which everyone knows it can't? We need a rationale. Now, there's a, there's a bridge that we can build there culturally in terms of, of a movie and things like that that help us understand how to articulate and maybe help people understand what the Christian position is wanting to say. Yeah, thanks. That's that's really helpful. And um, just to let the listeners know, uh, there are a series of, of posts on this topic at Reformation 21 that um, is relatively new, started in the past couple months or so, that you're doing um, on apologetics. And the Memento piece uh, is deals with directly with that, and there are some other posts there that are trying to get at uh, the categories, the principles that um, explain uh, what we're trying to get at with this apologetic method. So you can find that in Reformation 21, and um, there's also a, a lot of lectures that deal with this on uh, Westminster's iTunes U page and uh, some other resources. So um, look for that, and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>